We're going to do the uh, Chabad customs uh, for uh, the Erev Rosh Hashanah for the 29th day of Elul. This year it's on Wednesday, Erev Rosh Hashanah. Okay, uh, the last day of the year. Um, the same as we as we said earlier um, yesterday that the real holiday of Erev Rosh Hashanah begins only after Shlichot or only in the morning after Shlichot and therefore in the Shema on Tuesday night which is the night between Tuesday and Wednesday we will say Tachanun before going to bed there is the whole prayer the the prayers that you do before um, going to bed at nighttime, before retiring at nighttime. So there is also a difference between days in which you say Tachanun and you don't say Tachanun. But again, even though it's nighttime already on the eve of Rosh Hashanah, so it's considered like Ev Rosh Hashanah, we still will say the Tachanun, because we're even going to say the Tachanun and the Slichot, which is the next morning. So it only will start after the Slichot. An oval Rahmana litzlav, meaning a person who is a mourner uh, during Shiva is permitted to go to shul for the slichot, for this slichot and davening. Normally, a mourner during the seven days uh, he is confined to his home. He has to uh, stay home for seven days during that's the duration of Shiva. The last day, meaning only the beginning of the day, and then the rest of it is included. But for seven days from the burial, from the day of the burial, he has to stay home. And that's why we also do services usually at the home of the mourner. So he says Kaddish over there, but he should not go to shul. But the Slichot and Erev Rosh Hashanah are very uh, numerous. It's a lot over there. And it's considered like also a, a time that one is uh, going to beseech Hashem. And it's something that we will allow the uh, mourners to go. So a mourner can go to shul uh, for this lichot and for this davening on Er Rosh Hashanah, on the eve of Rosh Hashanah. Now, we have the uh, liturgy... Um, this is in the, um, it says here on the page, uh, it's the page over here, um, that's the Piyut Merubim Tzorche Amcha. There is just some, some of the versions over here, the way they have it from the old print, and sometimes they reprinted it, and it seems like obvious that there is a mistake, because... The way they have it over there, it says uh, in the in the uh, in the uh, print they have it v'seitiv lonu hachasima, meaning Hashem should make the sealing uh, the the seal of the good year for us. But what about the writing of the good year? It doesn't say there. Now uh, that was sort of copied. The assumption is that was copied into the Mahzer from the Yom Kippur prayer, in which we only say, already that's already after the writing, and over there it uses the word, should be sealed, and we actually uh, should say, we should say both, we should say, Teitivlon HaKasiva V'Achasima. You see, in the Hebrew-English slichas, in the just Hebrew one, it's a 107, in the Hebrew English that we're using over here, it's on page 127. Uh, right in the middle of the page, uh, the sentence that begins with the word Shavosi, uh, Shavosi, and the second line over there, it says, and there's missing the word Kasiva over here. It should be Kasiva, seemingly. It seems like they sort of printed this from the Yom Kippur prayer, which we say the same prayer, and that's why maybe it's here. It says, it says "Scribe us for life." Scribe for and, life, and right? Seal us, because there's nothing that's about right. writing. That's right. Should really be about writing too. That's what in but the in, English in the it Hebrew, says. Does it say writing? Same, in there? No. Okay. That's why we're correcting that right now. Okay. All right. Okay. There's also in the uh, there's a special piyut which goes on which begins with shloish 
Esrei Midos, and that's, um, let's see, page 136. There's been uh, many corrections made over there um, for that. Um, and, you know, those corrections already have been fixed inside the, uh, the, um, the uh, place over here. Now, I also want to pay, 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 bring your attention on page 138 at the bottom. There is the piyut called, uh, in the Hebrew version it's 117, in the Hebrew English it's on page 138. In the bottom there's a verse that begins, Al b'mishpat imonu. Now, those are verses from the Tehillim. Now, in this edition that you're looking at, the word v'hu yishpat is already a second verse, it is correct. In some of the older versions they put it together, uh, this is said, you know, the Chazan says it and the congregation follows. But for some, some reasons, there's two verses were sort of bunched up. So that's another thing to look at, okay? Um, this is said, first the Chazan says it, and then the congregation follows it, and you do it verse uh, for verse. Okay, so that, that takes care of several things in the Slichot for Erev Rosh Hashanah. Now, even though we blow the shofar, the entire month of Elul. However, there is no sounding of the shofar today on the Ere Rosh Hashanah, right Rosh Hashanah. Now, you may ask, why is there no sounding on Ere Rosh Hashanah? So, there are several reasons. In the Shulchan Aruch, the Alter Rebbe writes, because we want to make an interruption between the mandatory sounding of the shofar, which is on Rosh Hashanah, and the uh, traditional sounding of the shofar, which we do all month. So we want to sort of separate between them, make a distinction. If you just blew all the time, you may think, well, they're of the same level of equal importance, but there is a big difference because that's from the Torah, that's the mitzvah of Rosh Hashanah, and the other one is merely a tradition. There's another reason also because to confuse the Satan so he doesn't come to be criticizing the Jewish people. To confuse him means he's going to see that there's no shofar blowing and uh, he says, oh, what's going on? They're probably done with Rosh Hashanah because they've been blowing all the time. So he's going to look for other occupations for himself. In the meantime, the Jewish people will be able to celebrate Rosh Hashanah, win their judgment, and not have to worry about the Satan, not have to worry about him, about his criticisms. So that's another reason why we don't blow. But the bottom line is, we do not sound the shofar on the last day of the month on Erev Rosh Hashanah. We do it all month, so we'll do it on Tuesday, we won't do it on Wednesday, which is Erev Rosh Hashanah. So it's traditional that you do it. Yeah, it's only tradition. That's only <coughs> traditional. Now, but one has to blow the shofar on Rosh Hashanah. So what happens? One who needs to still train for tekiah shofar, for sounding the shofar for Rosh Hashanah. What are you going to do? I mean, you're not ready yet. We're telling you not to blow the shofar on the eve of Rosh Hashanah. But if you need to train, so one should do it in private in a closed room. One should do it in a uh, place where Nobody else is around. Nobody else is around, so that they won't uh, uh, they won't mistake it as a day for blowing the shofar, and therefore um, so do it in a private, in not yeah. doing it in public. Okay, oh, but we have no choice. You have to learn. You have, yeah, to, you learn. have to learn. You have right. to okay. Now we're going to talk about something special we do on Erev Rosh Hashanah. After Shacharit, that's after the morning service, we do Seder Hatoras Nedorim. That is the order of absolving ourselves from the vows. And we do it with a minion of ten men. Now, what is this idea of absolving one's vows? Of course, when we start a new year, we want to come in to the new year with a clean slate. We don't want to have any lingering problems from the previous years. If a person makes a vow, there is a very strong an important mitzvah to keep what you promise. One cannot make a promise and not keep it. Matter of fact, the Torah devotes many verses to the, uh, to the laws, uh, to the portion of matos about making vows. 
And there are very many, many laws that relate to these vows that one makes. When one makes a vow, if you make a promise, there's various different levels or exact how a vow, a vow, a promise, an oath, but these are all forms of commitment that a person makes, and one must keep his commitments. The Torah also allows for ways of absolving oneself from a commitment. Uh, but that requires a procedure. You can't just uh, absolve yourself. It requires. So, like, one of the ways of absolving oneself, and this is also, we learn it out, it's it's like a, uh, not, not very clear in the verse that it's done, but one of the, uh, uh, one of the um, ways of doing it is, um, is going to a rabbi. And the rabbi finds you what's called a Pesach HaTorah. He finds a door, an opening, to permit it to you. So if you made a vow, let's say, oh, that I'm going to uh, buy my wife a gift every day of the year. Okay? You made a promise, right? And then it turns out that, you know, you can't keep that promise. Uh, maybe the business hasn't been going so well. You can't afford to buy her a gift. So you'd go to the rabbi and you say, I made a promise. And the rabbi would say to you, you made it under the assumption that when business was well, you didn't take into account that the business might go bad and that you won't be able to afford it. And based on that, you made the vow and you say yes. So then the rabbi absolves you the vow and says, because you didn't make it under all circumstances. He finds a way to absolve it. But that, you have to come in front of the rabbi, the rabbi has to investigate, and then there is ways you need either a court of three, or you need an expert, even if he's one, that can absolve your vows. But that is for vows that you know and you have to keep. But then there are vows that we don't even realize that we made those vows. We made promises, we said... Now, sometimes you don't even have to express a promise. Sometimes if you do a good deed three times, like we talked about before, about three times doing something... That is already a commitment, even though you didn't express that commitment. But that becomes a commitment because you've done something good three times. You must continue to do that. Now, you don't even realize that. Oh, you don't even realize. We were talking about any time you say something, always say, God willing, without a vow. You always say without a vow to make sure that, you know, because you don't want to say something and then make a commitment and then not do it. That is a big sin to not keep your commitment. So the normal way to do it is to, first of all, keep your vow, if you know. It's okay. The Rambam, and based on the Talmud, says don't make vows so you don't violate them. But it's okay if you want to help yourself make a promise to do something good and you feel that that's the way to do it is by promising. It's okay. You could make a vow. And you should, you should fulfill your vow. If it's an absolute need to absolve the vow, then you can go to the rabbi and get yourself, uh, you know, the vow absolved. Not all the time, depending on the rabbi finding you a reason. There's other ways. A husband has certain rights of absolving his wife's vows, a father over his daughter. There's other rules. We're not going into that right now. Now, the uh, Rosh Hashanah, order of absolving the vows isn't that same. That is talking about vows that we don't know, that we can't go to the rabbi to say. So the rabbis instituted that you go ahead and you make a declaration. And you sort of, in a general way, you're saying, there's been many vows, I've done many things, you can look through the order in the sitter, you'll see there is the order of absolving the vows. You're basically saying that I you know, if I made a commitment, or I said, or I did something, I did it, and I didn't specifically uh, specify that I'm doing it without a vow, without accepting it upon myself, I hereby ask you forgiveness. Now, or absolve that you should forgive. allow me that. Now, this is done in front of a minion of men, ten men. So, in the shul, usually after davening, you will do the order of Atoris Nidorim. The best time to do it is on Rosh Hashanah, at Rosh Hashanah, before midday. After midday, it's already almost Rosh Hashanah. You want to be clean of any vow. So we should do it after 
Shachrit on Erev Rosh Hashanah is the best time to do it. Now, if you couldn't do it, you could do it in the afternoon as well. Matter of fact, if you couldn't even do it, you can do it in Erev Yom Kippur. You can do it there. You can do it then too. Again, that doesn't help you. If you promise to give to charity, you have to give it to charity. You can't absolve yourself with that now. Or if you made a promise to to do a good deed to study Torah, you got to go and study Torah. You can't just absolve yourself. This is meant for things that you have not, you don't know, and you want to make sure that you're not violating. So they ordered, they organized this order. You have ten men in front of you do it. Now there is a question whether you need ten men besides the person saying it. In other words, you say it in front of ten men, or you need ten men altogether, so the one that is saying it is also part of the ten men. So if possible, there should be ten plus the person who's being matir nether, plus the person. So you need eleven you, all the so time. You, so you need eleven. So what we would do is, you know, you have eleven people together, if you can. You have eleven people together. Because they think. And you take turns, and then yeah. each one, uh, and you know, you say, and then after you finish being uh, matir nether, then you also say, uh, I make a declaration that if I, any, if I make a mistake, and I do accept upon myself, it should not be of any validity. I'm making it plug uh, that I'm doing it by accident. And these are the things that you do once a year before Rosh Hashanah. Um, yeah? Now, there's an issue about underbar mitzvah. Now, most of the Torah laws um, apply only from bar mitzvah when you're 13 years old, and for a girl, when she turns 12, she becomes bat mitzvah. Under 12 and under 13, uh, they're exempt basically from all mitzvahs. Is an exception with as far as a vow goes. It's called a mufla samuchliish, one who is close to becoming a man. That's in the 12th year. That the 12th year, one is considered to be mature enough that the vows that they accept upon themselves, or for a girl from being 11 years old, that that may, that may have validity if they reach the level of maturity that they know how to make a vow. However, uh, the uh, people absolving the vow should be adults. You can't have a child. You can't have under bar mitzvah there. Uh, Now, so therefore, under bar mitzvah cannot be counted amongst the men. Even though a 12-year-old can... Uh, can absolve, but she cannot be counted as he cannot be counted as one of the ten people uh, that are necessary for absolving the the vows. Uh, it is also a debate, debatable. It seems to be various different views. If one under bar mitzvah should do hatoras nedorim, if it's something that they also need to do, especially when you're 12 years old already. As I said, by 12 you already have vows that would stick. It's not so clear uh, about it. You know, I've seen, uh, we, when we grew up, we used to do it even before we were bar mitzvah. We still used to do it. Uh, then. But it's not so clear that that, is, that, that needs to be done. Um, sometimes people are in a rush. So they'll get up and uh, they'll have like uh, 10 people together and they'll do it at the same time. Uh, you know, so they don't want to sit through each one doing their whole thing. It takes a few minutes, each one saying it. Um, and then you also, especially, you have, really, you should say it in the language that you understand. So if you understand English, you should say it in English, because you're absolving yourself from vows, you're making declarations. It's not just like a prayer, it's something that you need to know what you're saying. But sometimes you have people who have, maybe have a hard time reading Hebrew and they insist on doing it in Hebrew and everybody has to sit and listen has to sit and listen so they go through it okay so uh, when possible each person does a Taurus Nadorim separately if it's impossible and you need everybody's going to leave you're not going to have a minion and you know so go ahead do it as a group and okay that'll work two or more should not say that Taurus Nadorim together okay that's the the point okay and in our tradition, women do not do hatoras nedorim. Do not do this. Sephardic women do, but in the Ashkenazi by us, we never had seen that the women did not do hatoras nedorim. There is some talk about a married uh, man doing hatoras nedorim for his wife. He can sort of uh, do hatoras nedorim for that. There is talk about that, 
But in any event, whether married or not, single women or do not do the Atoris Nidorim. That's the actual tradition. Um, now, as we'll talk about at Shachris, before leaving the shul this year, we announce that an Erev Tavshila needs to be made today, and we also explain how it is done. Now this is, Erev Tavshilin is something which is not every holiday. Uh, you know, there is 613 Torah commandments. We have 248 positive and 365 prohibitions. And then we have six mitzvot, which are mitzvahs of the rabbis. One of these mitzvah is the mitzvah of Eruv Tavshilin. Uh, sometimes when the Talmud wants to express how people were careful to do the mitzvahs, they want to say they even took care of the mitzvahs, the Rabbonon, even as far as Eruv Tavshilin goes. Eruv Tavshilin, the mix of the food, as we're going to see what we're talking about in a minute. When Shabbos follows Yontif, like in this year, like you have Thursday and Friday is Rosh Hashanah, and then comes Shabbos. So Shabbos follows Yomtev, right? Same thing would be if the Yomtev, any Yomtev, this is Rosh Hashanah, but any Yomtev, if the Yomtev falls on, also on Friday and Shabbos. So the second day is Shabbos. If you have, in, in Israel, only Rosh Hashanah is two days, but by us, every Yomtev is two days. Uh, in outside in the diaspora. So you have, let's say, Friday and Shabbos. If the second day of Yom Tov is Shabbos, or Shabbos follows two days of Yom Tov, then there is a special mitzvah of the rabbis to make an Eruv Tavshilin. That's one of the mitzvahs that the rabbis said is to make an Eruv Tavshilin. What is an Eruv Tavshilin? But the, what we're talking about right now is that we have to announce to make an Erev Tavshil. And I will explain to you a little bit later also how it's actually done, how this Erev Tavshil is done. But it's important that people know that this is an important mitzvah and it's something that people should be taught and uh, reminded, I guess, how it's done. Um, you know, generally speaking, I'll just give you briefly, generally speaking, just like on Shabbos, one is not allowed to do any work. What constitutes work? 39 jobs are considered malachas, work. Now, one of the work, uh, one of the 39 would be cooking. On Shabbat, one is not permitted to cook. Now, on Yom Tov, on the other hand, also one is not allowed to do malacha. One is not allowed to do work. One should not be allowed to cook. But Yantav is an exception. You're allowed to cook on Yantav because that is for the needs of eating. On Yantav, the Torah made an allowance. Meleches oichel nefesh. Those work which directly impact one's meals, one's eating, one is allowed to uh, do on Yantav, is allowed to do. Meleches oichel nefesh. Provided that it is for the use of Yantav. So, if one would ask you, are you allowed to just cook on Yontif if you are not intending to use the food on Yontif? So then what you're doing is, you're doing a malacha, but it's not ochal nefesh. It's not for consumption, because you're not eating it. You're not using the food. You're using it for after Yontif. That basically means, means are you allowed to cook on Yontif for Shabbos? Are you allowed to cook for the weekdays? Yeah. Answer is no, because Yantav, then you would not be cooking Ochal Nefesh. You wouldn't be doing it for your food consumption. But wait a minute, that's not the correct answer. Okay. That's not the correct answer. Why? Because as long that you're cooking, when there is enough time that the cooked food that you're cooking should be consumed on Yantav, even if you didn't have in mind, but there is, it's going to be finished on Yontif. Say that there are guests going to come by that need to eat. You can feed them from that food. So there is a potential, there's a possibility for that food to be eaten on Yontif. Then you're not going to be violating 
cooking on Yontav because of the potential and the possibility. You're not violating the, the prohibition of, of, of cooking on Yontav because you're, you're cooking, you might be cooking for people's food for the day. Even though you don't know that, that doesn't matter. And you would still not be violating the prohibition of the Torah. So one is not permitted to cook so late in the day that the food isn't ready on the day. If it's not ready, that it can't be used on that day in case he wants to use it, then he's not allowed to cook. Then he'd be violating a prohibition of not doing work on Yontif. Because he worked on Yontif and he didn't work for Eichel Nefesh. There's no possibility for being consumed for Eichel Nefesh because it's no time for it to be eaten. But any time that you cook on Yontif and there's still a possibility, there's a potential for people eating it on Yontif, you're not violating the Yontif from the Torah. Yeah? You can cook from scratch? Or does it have to be partially cooked before you stop? You can cook from scratch. From scratch. There's no problem. So in other words, on Thursday, your wife can go home, right. and put the chicken in the oven, and you can eat it for at night. That's right. Okay. No, now, well, well, eat it at night? No, eat no, it, you're just, eat oh, it you're during Yantav. Yantav. See, uh, you touched on another thing. You cannot cook from the first day for the second day, because the second day technically is not really, really Yantav even though it is Yontif, but the second day is not really Yontif. We know that it's not Yontif. Yeah. We know that it's only the first day Rosh Hashanah. And if you're cooking on Rosh Hashanah for the nighttime, then you're cooking on Yontif for another okay. day. So you can't do that. You can only cook for, for that day. day. So for day. So Otherwise, you, you cook for another day. So what do you do for but Friday? Again, huh? And for Friday, you cook separately. For the second day. Yeah, you cook on Friday, you cook on the second day. Second. You but shouldn't cook on, on, on the first day. For the second you should day. Not, not cook for the second day. So whatever's but all of, all of what we're saying okay, is, yeah, what we're yeah. saying, let's just take yeah, one okay, second. Okay. From the Torah, first, we're going to get to the second point mm-hmm. because the rabbis have their own two cents they put in here. Okay. From the Torah's perspective, we're saying that you, as long as there's the potential for people eating it on that day. So then you can cook from the first day Yontif, also for the second day, which is really a weekday from the Torah's perspective, because we know that it's not Yontif. It's okay to cook from it on Sunday, on on the first day Yontif, for the second day, for for as long as there can be a potential that can be eaten that day. But if you're going to start cooking on the first day Yontif, from the Torah even, like so close to the nighttime that you won't have a chance to oh, eat it in that day, okay. then you come in the second day, then you're violating Yantav because okay. you're doing a Malach on Yantav not for the purpose of that Yantav. You're doing it for the weekday. I eat Rosh Hashanah, but it's not really Rosh Hashanah from the, for, this, for these purposes. So what happens with Shabbos? Oh. So on Shabbos, oh, one second, so here we say like this. But first I pointed out to you that there is actually no problem from the Torah cooking on Shabbos for uh, cooking for Shabbos, Shabbos on Yontif as long as you have time for guests to eat it, that they can come so you can't cook for Shabbos whether it's on Thursday whether it's on Friday this year on the first day Rosh Hashanah okay. or on the second day Rosh Hashanah you don't have a there is no problem in cooking for Shabbos in both of these days as long as you can give it to guests if they happen to be coming over there from the Torah you're not allowed to cook it on Thursday very late in the day for Friday. Okay. You're not allowed to cook it on Friday very late before Shabbat because that would be okay. violation okay. of the Yantav. And the first day, of course, Minat Torah. The second day, because it's Midrabonah, you'll right. be violating a few of Midrabonah. However, the rabbis said that we still don't want you to cook on Yantav for Shabbos, even when there is no prohibition of the Torah. In other words, even if there's enough time for guests to come and eat it, we still don't want you to cook on Yontif for Shabbos, the rabbis said. And the rabbis gave two reasons, there are two re- distinct reasons given, separate reasons given, why they didn't want you to cook on Shabbos. They said, the only way that you're going to be cooking 
that we're going live cooking is if you make an Erev Tafshilin. An Erev Tafshilin is be a way to do it. And we're going to talk about that in a few minutes later. We're going to talk about how the Erev Tafshilin is done. Uh, we're running out of time, but let's just do one more piece. We'll talk about how the Erev Tafshilin... Just one quick question. Sure. On Yantif, you can adjust the flame on the stove. To make it higher. Higher. Not to make it lower. Oh, so you can't make it lower. No, I'm just telling you... you I mean, yeah, yeah, any, no, any word saying you can't yeah, doesn't meet any, everybody's standard. There's some people that say that you could because they say... Because, again, making the fire bigger helps you cook. Other people say making it lower helps you cook too because the food is going to burn. Some, some authorities say that lowering is also... We do not do it. We only adjust uh, it, we only adjust it b- b- larger. larger. We okay. would make it higher. We will not make okay. it lower. Okay. Okay. All right. But right now we were just talking about that in the morning when you leave the shul, yeah. we announced that an air of tashilin to be made today and how it is done. I did not tell you yet what is the reason for making the air of tashilin. I just explained to you that from the Torah's perspective, you cannot cook right before the night shouldn't be ready for that day, but you could cook earlier in the day. That's what I explained to you. Now, the other thing is, which the Rebbe said, that similar to Erev Pesach, we should initiate a collection of distributions of funds to supply food, etc., for the needy, for Yom Tov, to those in need. We should make sure that everybody has their needs of Yom Tov, whether it's eating, whether it's clothing, whatever whatever people may need. So that's something very important to see to it that everybody has their needs. Also, when possible, one should visit the Ohel, that's the holy resting place of the Rebbe and the previous Rebbe, and the gravesite of Tzadikim in general on this day, Erev Rosh Hashanah. It's a very appropriate time, just learn the Shulchan Aruch, appropriate time to visit Tzadikim and to go ahead and Pray to Hashem that in the merit of these great tzaddikim, that they should bless, Hashem should bless you with a happy Now, it is customary to write a pan. A pan means abbreviation of pidyon nefesh, redemption of the soul. That's a special letter that you write, and while wearing a gartel, those people that are married put on a uh, see the tie around them, that, that gartel. Um, and you write a pidyon efesh for oneself and family for a blessing, for a to be written and signed for a good and sweet year, to be read at the oil. So you write that note, basically, asking Hashem, praying to Hashem, to give you a, a good year. And you take that. Uh, note, and if you can make it to the oil, you go to the oil with the note. What happens is you can't go to the oil. If one cannot get get it to the oil on Erev Rosh Hashanah, on the eve of Rosh Hashanah, you can't get it to the oil. So then you should place it in the pages of a Sefer of the Rebbe. You take it in one of the Rebbe's books, Rebbe's letters, the Rebbe's teachings, you put it into the book, and then send it to be read later at the OL. So then you can send it later. So putting it in there is like sending it at that point, and then you send it to the later, to, 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 to the further. Now, one should take a haircut and tovel and immerse himself in a mikveh tare, in a mikveh, in honor of the upcoming yantav, out of honor and respect of uh, the yantav is both to look beautiful to take a haircut and also immerse oneself to spiritually clean oneself in the preparation of the Yom Tov. Okay, let's do, so now we're going to go through the order of the Erev Tavshilim. Okay, how do we make the Erev Tavshilim? Now, I didn't tell you before the reasons for it. There's two reasons. Uh, A, the rabbis wanted the honor of Yom Tov. They wanted to take care of the honor of Yontif, and B, they wanted to take care of the honor of Shabbos. But I think if I go into the reasoning now, it'll take up too much time, uh, and we won't finish. So what I'm going to do is, I'm just going to tell you the practical way it's done, and maybe we'll learn the reasons another time, okay? This is the way it's done. You take a whole bread, 
Okay? Meaning something whole. You can take a, a matzah, you can take a pita bread, you can take a challah. But it has to have the, at least the size of a, of a kebeah. It has to be the size of an egg, which is whatever, it's 54 grams or 52 grams, whatever. You know, it's, it's, it's various different shurim. I'm not going to go into now the exact, what is the exact measurements. But there is a measurement for it. And you take that together with a cooked item, which is either a piece of fish or meat or some other important thing. Sometimes people will take an egg even. With an egg, you know, in the Shulchan Aruch it says, also an egg should not be peeled before... You can't leave an egg overnight without being peeled. Should not, so it should be... Or leave a little bit of the peel on it if you're going to leave it. But if you have a hard-boiled egg that is ready to eat, you take a piece of meat best, take a piece of fish, there's no question with that. And that has to have at least the size of a kezais. That has to be the size of a size of an olive. And you give them and you give them to an adult. You take those items. So what we just have, you have a piece of bread and a piece of fish or a piece of meat. So you have bread and fish. The main thing of the Arab is the main thing of the Arab is actually the, the, the cooked food. The bread is the extra, you know, because what the process is going to allow for us to cook and bake. So the baking represents the, the, the bread represents the baking. The food represents the cooking. That's why we do some baking and, and cooking. But the main thing is the cooking because that should really encompasses everything. But the way done, the right way to do it is we do both. We take a piece of bread and we take a, a piece of fish or meat or a, a cooked item, which is an important wine, which has the size of an olive. So the bread needs to be a kibeya. That's also considered to be an important piece of bread. But by food, the important piece is a kezai, size of an olive. Smaller, smaller than the size needed for the bread. And you give them to an adult. You give them to another person. Okay? What does the adult do with it? You're making that person an agent to represent all the people in the city who want to benefit from what you're going to be doing. So instead of just doing the error for yourself, you're going to do something which you're going to give the privilege to everybody else in the city. So you're going to give it to another adult, the fish and the bread, or the meat and the bread, the Erev, and you're going to tell the other person, I want, I'm making you an agent of all the other people in the city so that you will fulfill their mitzvah for them. Because what happens is if somebody forgets to make their own Erev, they won't be able to cook a Yonta for Shabbos. You want to do something to help everybody else out. Now, sometimes it was done by the rabbi of the city, but now everybody else does it. We all make the Erev. We all give it the opportunity, and we say that we are going to give this privilege, make the Erev for everybody. How could you make it for everybody? I give it to you, and I say to you, you raise this, a tefach, raise this up, and by doing so, you become the agent of all the people to make an error for them. Well, you may ask, well, they didn't ask me to become their agent. How could I become someone's agent without them asking me? But we have a rule that that if you're trying to do something good for someone, you don't need his consent. You can do it for him. Let's say if you find a watch, a gold watch that doesn't belong to anybody, right? Something, You can pick it up and you can say, oh, I, this is for that person. And it belongs to the other person. Well, he didn't ask you to get it for him. But, you know, we are assuming that this is something good. You probably, he probably wants you to get it for him. So you can do it for him. The Erev is something to their benefit. There's no loss over there. So you can do it. So what we do is, so you take that and you give it to an adult who will be Zoycha. You will merit this for the whole community. Now, it's best to use somebody who himself needs to be is outside of your community because that's why it's best not to use your own dependent children for this task. If you want to use your children, better not. You don't have a choice, you can use them. But better to begin with, better don't use your own children or your wife or somebody because since they're part of your Erev, you want to give it to somebody outside to merit it for the other people. 
because they're automatically included in your Erev. Somebody who's not part of your Erev. See, the people of the same family don't need to make, those who are eating together and eating here, don't need to make each one his own Erev. You make, those are all eating together. So, but you want to give other people the chance to participate in your Erev, so therefore you're giving it to another person, and you have him give the privilege to everybody else. And then, you, you give it to you, okay, the one making the Erev then says, so the person who makes the Erev, he says, and he said like this, I am giving hereby the privilege to anyone who wishes to rely on this Erev that I'm making, I'm giving everybody the opportunity. Then the Zoycha, then the person who I've given it to, raises the food items, a tafach. He raises it a tafach, a, a hand breath. Okay? Even if the food was placed in his hands when they were raised, let's say I gave it to you, hands raised, you still got to raise it a tafach. He would still need to raise them a tafach. You have to raise them a tafach. That way, you are sort of owning this Erev for everybody else who wishes when you raise it, you are giving everybody else the privilege of the Erev. Then, once you did this for everybody else, you give it back to the... After the Zoycha raises them, the one, after you finish raising, the person raises them, then the Mezake, the Mezake, meaning the person who's making the Erev, who gave takes the food back and makes the Bracha. Say the blessing, Baruch Atah Hashem Elokeinu Melech HaOlam, Asher Kiddushanu B'Mitzvah Al mitzvah's Erev. This sanctified us for making the Erev. And then you say Bedein V'chulu. In the Siddur, you say Bedein V'chulu as printed in the Siddur. One should say this in the language they understand. You know, you have to understand. What you are saying is that this is the meaning of what you're saying there. That with this Erev, it will be permitted for us to bake, to cook, to cover up the warm food that when you live over warm food, that's atmonas chamin, to light the lights, like even the Shabbos candles, that you light on Yom Tev, before Yom Tev. We're also permitting it by making this Erev. So can you make the light, for the, to light the candles for, for Yom Tev at night, you strike a match, or you take from an existing flame? Well, existing flame, you can't strike a match. Right, so you take it, so you have to have something burning all the time. That's right, exactly. We're going to say that. In a minute, we're going to say that. Very good. That's absolutely important. And especially this year. Here we're going to go. To light. We're going to talk about it in one minute. To light. Okay. And so what we're saying is again. With this air, it will be permitted for us to bake, to cook, to cover up the warm food, to light the lights, to prepare, and do all of our needs on Yom Tov. For Shabbos. For us, and for all Jews living in the city. That's what you're basically saying over there. For the community. For the community. Community means all Jews. The Goyim don't need it. So it's only (laughs) for the Jews living in the city. Okay. Now, the Rebbe Rashab had the tradition to accept upon himself a new stringency on every Erev Rosh Hashanah. A new hidur, a new thing to do Careful, He would take it. And on Erev Rosh Hashanah, everyone should accept upon themselves to improve in the performance of mitzvahs, both the positive and prohibition, and as well, improving one's conduct in general, one's character. That's an appropriate time before Rosh Hashanah. Starting with an hour before Mincha, through Mairev, at the end of Rosh Hashanah, one should constantly recite psalms. It's very important. And those who give tzedakah every day, some people make sure to give every day tzedakah, but on Yantav you can't give tzedakah. They should give today for the two days of Rosh Hashanah. So on Tuesday, on Wednesday, you already give for Thursday and for Friday. Shabbos they never give because they never know. They don't give on Shabbos because any Shabbos they don't give. But every weekday they give. Oh, so, so, so they give for Thursday and Friday. Okay. Towards the evening, we dress in our Shabbos clothes and we are confident that Hashem will do for us a miracle and judge us all with mercy. Now, according to we... We, meaning Chabad's custom, which is the, including the Shliach Tzibur, the Baltikeya, only use a kittel on Yom Kippur. That's that white kittel. We only use it on Yom Kippur. Some people say that a kittel, a real kittel, is not those that you button up. It's the ones that you put over your head. I mean, that's the new kittels. New kittels they have, you just button them up. I, you know, Baruch Hashem, I have my leftover, my father, I use his kittel. 
Uh, it's a little small for me, but <laughs> but uh, that's a over the head kind of a kittel. Some people say that that's so a wear, real. They wear a, Ra- a Rosh Hashanah. No. no, no, no. Only Yom Kippur. Right, we don't right. wear a kittel. Nobody, not the right, right, right. Baltekei and the Chibur. No. We don't wear the kittel. Uh, it mostly the reasoning of it is very different. Reasoning is one of the reasons is uh, to subdue ourselves. Some people wear the Rosh Hashanah, but we only wear the Yom Kippur. Okay, now, light the light, the Yom Tov lights before Yom Tov at the time printed in the calendars. Now, technically, one can light Yom Tov lights and Yom Tov itself also. But he says we should light the lights the way it's written in the calendar. You shouldn't wait till Yom Tov to light the light. You should do the lighting of the candles really before Yom Tov, oh, just as we do on, uh, the, first on, on the first day. On the, the second s- one, it's going to be... Uh, you have to do it after, That's of course, right, because you're lighting for the second day. But on the first day, you do it before, the second day has to be after, and for Shabbos, it has to be before as well. Yeah. On, we have to do it on Friday, we have to do it before Shabbos. Right. But on Yom Tov, and any Yom Tov, we should really do it before the onset of Yom Tov as printed in the calendars. But if you did not light them then, if you didn't light them before Yom Tov, then light them before the, before the meal from an existing fire. You do it from a fire that is existing. Like you said before, on Yom Tov itself you can't strike a match because you're not allowed to create fire on Yom Tov. You can transfer. continue, can transfer fire, but you can't create fire. You can smoke and, on Yom Tov. Well, not on Rosh Hashanah. On Rosh Hashanah you shouldn't smoke. Anyways, yeah, uh, technically. I Yes, I'll tell you one quick story. Many years ago, well, halakhically you can. I'm just saying, uh, traditionally not. Thirty years ago, I was in Brooklyn with a friend of mine before I got married, and we went to goes on Thursdays. So we were in Brooklyn, so we just we said, let's go to Tishlach at the reservoir in Cleveland Circle. Mm In those days, they had a gate around it. Oh, so yeah. the Rebbe used to get them to open it, and they used to march down Beacon right. Street. A friend of mine smoked a pipe. He's smoking the pipe, and one of the chusses came over with a cigarette and said to him, can I borrow your flame? Yeah. And he smoked the rest of the way up. Yeah. So I said... But it's not a Chabad tradition to smoke. Okay, but they did. Chabad, and Rebbe asked us to publicize it, not on Rosh Hashanah. Okay. Yom Tov, one thing. And, uh, but, but, they, but, okay. yeah, but, you know, but shouldn't, just, you shouldn't smoke a whole year either. You shouldn't smoke, period. <laughs> period. Right. But that's, uh, okay. that's something that you Okay, do. so okay. when you light... Make two brachas when lighting the lights. One is Ladlik Ner Shloyim Hazikarin, and the other one is Shech Make these two lights. Uh, now, as on, as on Shabbos, the blessings are made after the lighting, which means you light the candles first on Shabbat, and you make the bracha, right. you cover your eyes, right, right, right. and you make the bracha, then you open the eyes, then you enjoy the light. Why do we do it like that? Very simple. Because once the, uh, once the bracha uh, is made, normally we make a bracha before we do the mitzvah. So before we do the mitzvah, we make the bracha. We don't blow the shofar and then we say, Al-Takiyah shofar. You make the bracha and then you blow the shofar. Every time we do the mitzvah, before doing of the mitzvah, we make the yeah. So technically, one should make the bracha and then go ahead and light the light the Shabbos lights. Problem is that once you said you're already accepted Shabbos. So how are you going to light the candle? Then you're lighting up Shabbos. So what are you going to do? So we have no choice. You can't have you light. You can't have you make the bracha first because you're technically accepting Shabbos when you said Shabbos and then later on, you're going to go and light the fire. It's going to be violating the Shabbos. So what do we do, therefore? So we say first, you light it. But lighting itself is not just the mitzvah. The mitzvah is to enjoy the Shabbos flames. So after you light it, you cover your eyes because you don't enjoy the flame. Right. Then you make the bracha. And after you open up, you enjoy the fire. So it's still like making the bracha before you're enjoying. It's after lighting, before you're enjoying the light. But on Yontev... Technically, on Yontav, you're allowed to light the fire on Yontav. So there are some people that argue and say, on Yontav, do it the right way. Make the bracha, 
uh, which is Rosh Hashanah or like right. Rosh Yantif. And then light. And, and then light because it's okay to light on Yantif. Yeah. But he says, no, as on Shabbos, the blessings are made after the lighting. We don't make a change. We do it the same way we do it on Shabbos. First, you light the candles, and only afterwards you make the brachas of Ladlik Nesh Yamazikon and Rosh Hashanah and the Sheikh Yano. Now, if a man is lighting the Yom of lights, there's no wife in the house, there's right. no woman in the house, he lights it then, since he will say the Kiddush, the Sheikh Yano in Kiddush, because we also say, we only say one time Sheikh Yano, say Sheikh Yano for the holiday. Right. So the woman says the Sheikh Yano when she lights the candles. The man says the Sheikh Yano when he does Kiddush. But here the man is going to make Kiddush later, or he's going to say the Sheikh Yon in Kiddush. He does not say it now. That's what the Kiddush is there. Because he's going to do it in Kiddush then. But if he did say Sheikh Yonu when he lit the lights, then he does not say it say during it Kiddush. Yama. Can't say the Kiddush. You can't say it twice. Say it right. once. So if he said it now. So the woman says it at the lighting of the candles. The man says it when he makes the Kiddush. Now, one should prepare and light a large candle that would be burning throughout the two days of Yom Tov, so there will be a fire from which to light the lights for before Shabbos. You're going to have to light, how are you going to get the light to light? Even all the ways, three days Yom Tov. You have first day or second day, you have to light the Shabbos candles. What kind of a candle do you use? Well, if you leave the stove on, you can just take it from the stove. Or else they have in the store, you can buy in Shaw's, they sell those big lamps. It's like a yardside lamp over there, but it's not quite. Yeah. And oh, you, so can, you, can, those. you can use one of those. We leave the stove open for, uh, for so the duration. Put it on, on, on the black on the stove? Yeah, you know, we don't need a black on Yantif. You don't need you know, a black on Yantif. You know, but for, for Yantif. Okay, you don't. Sometimes we've had to resort to go down to the uh, hot water heater and, <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and, and take but, a light from there. But, but, but for Shabbos, you need the black, right? Yeah, if you're going to use, if you're going to cook for Shabbos, yeah, you're going to need the black. Yeah. So, I, so before. So then before you can put on the black. You can have the black before you answer too if you want to hold it that way. That's yeah, fine. Oh, no problem. Okay. Now, it's a piece of metal covering that, the fire. It covers the fire so the pot or whatever isn't directly on the flame. Yeah. And you can move it around on there. Okay, now there is a debate. No. There is a debate whether one can light a yardside light, or some have the custom to light a tshuva light on yomtiv itself, because again we know that on yomtiv you can't do only malachas uh, for for food consumption. Then we have a rule that since it's permissible. For a need, you can do it even when it's not a need, but it needs to be a little bit of a need. Now, when you put a yard site, if it's for the benefit of the soul, you know, then it's uh, not so much considered your need. It's a question whether you can do it on Yontif. Tshuvalicht, others argue, is more for the person. It's his repentance, a candle for his penance. So it is a little bit of a tzarech. So that's also debatable whether those can be lit on Yantav. But if you want to light them, you have to light them from before Yantav. One should light large candles on every Yantav that will burn during all of Yantav. So during Yantav, they should be burning. And then you will have the, uh, the lights.